0: Hello and welcome. This is Shank Talks Bonhoeffer. I'm Rob Schenk and this is a conversation all about the life, times, and interests of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the World War II era young, very brave Lutheran pastor in Germany, who was one of the first voices to speak out against the rise of Nazism and of Adolf Hitler. You probably know his story well. So you know it didn't end well, Uh, martyred at age 39, in April of 1945, but before that he left us a wonderful body of literature, a legacy that we can all emulate to some degree or another. And today, we like to take Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his ideas and apply them to the exigencies of our own time. And that's what makes today's conversation so relevant, because I'm sitting with a pastor who has dared to publish a book, a compilation of sermons entitled Sermons from the Days of Trump. Bob Malone, Jr. is pastor of Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, Virginia. And yeah, Bob, we're talking about the Mount Vernon, as in not too far from George's house is just down the road yeah President George Washington (laughs) who had his Mount Vernon plantation right here right and how old is this congregation that you pastor
1: this congregation uh, just celebrated its 60th anniversary okay Yeah. must
0: be a long history of presbyterianism in this area though i would There think. is it's interesting that
1: uh, probably less than 2 miles away is a another presbyterian church they were affiliated with the northern presbyterian church we were the southern we were part of the southern
0: presbyterian church ah oh, there's a charged yeah. story behind oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those. oh there's always a story isn't there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. monikers affiliation yeah. whatever yeah. um But we won't get into that today. That's a (laughs) discussion for another time. Although there is a certain intersection with Bonhoeffer on that because, of course, his experience when he was in New York in the early 30s and then again in the late 30s and worshipped at Abyssinian Baptist Church, the epicenter of black church life Mm -hmm. in that time. And he saw the oppression Of blacks in this country uh, and that was a revolutionary experience for him and it's of course all tied to that history so maybe we'll sit on another day sure and talk about that but today we're talking about this rather bold uh, compendium of messages uh, that uh, has been published by Parsons Porch Books Um, let me say a little bit more about you in terms of a formal Uh, CV, you are a minister in the Presbyterian Church USA, Uh, you are pastor here at Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church in Alexandria, Virginia, a graduate of American University, school I know well from being in D.C. so many years, Uh, Princeton Seminary, congrats on a nice uh, alma mater there, and Gordon Conwell Seminary which is more in my family the evangelical branch of the american church and i'd love to hear a little bit more about that but uh, i'll mention your wife jean and uh you have three adult children so you're a real you're a real guy i'm normal you're person yeah mate. that's right that's right uh and these days um I, I i i dare say it's a challenge to be a pastor to the kind of congregation you have, which, as far as my first impressions, is a kind of mixed group of people. Uh, You know, nobody in one particular camp politically or socially or the other, at least that's what I've heard rumors of. But let's first talk about you. Uh, You weren't born a pastor. No. How did you make your way to ministry? Well, I think Gordon Conwell
1: Theological Seminary probably reflects more of my spiritual origins than Princeton does. I was raised Roman Catholic, um, had a what I say is my first conversion experience in the 70s at a David Wilkerson crusade, and uh, began this incredible faith journey that has really laid the foundation for where I am today. And Uh, The Charismatic Movement hit the Catholic Church in the 70s, at least my Catholic Church, and so um, that just started me down this road and then I went to AU and that's where I really got connected with the fellowship here. and kind of evangelicalism, American evangelicalism. When really you say the own.
0: fellowship,
1: do you mean the fellowship the in quotation fe- marks? Yeah. Every Tuesday night, I had a good friend who used to drag me to their Bible studies every Tuesday night at
0: Ivanwald. And uh, so now we're talking about the Fellowship Foundation, right? Uh, which some folks will know from the Netflix series The Family, right? Um, I'm. I certainly know them well. These are the people behind the national prayer breakfast, which just got a lot of headlines. I don't know when uh, our listeners are uh, hearing this, but uh, in recent days, President Trump made big headlines when he showed off headlines applauding him for his win against uh, impeachment and removal uh, at the prayer breakfast. And these are the folks who organize it. Right. Uh, so you were going to one of their houses, right. where residents actually lived, mm-hmm. to a Bible study. There. Right.
1: And it just kind of shaped my my theology, my understanding of the relationship between faith and politics, because they remain to this day kind of intimately involved. Um, they see a direct relationship between. Uh, God's calling upon our lives and um, this, what I would say is really just a lust for power and so to be engaged politically. And that just kind of shaped shaped my theology for a long time. Have um, you seen the Netflix series? I have series? seen the Netflix series. And you know, it's gotten a lot of criticism but, oh, at least a lot of my friends have been critical of it, but in my limited experience, it was pretty Uh, it was pretty accurate i went through a time in ministry where i was really doubting and questioning my call and um and i remember sitting down with doug Coe, just uh because a friend said he you need to talk to him he can give you some
0: guidance and direction and for me doug Coe being the main figure uh, within the fellowship not the founder but really the developer of what we know to be the organization today right
1: and, um, and it, he was helpful, you know, it was, you know, whenever you sit down with people who have a, a heart for God and, you know, even though I don't walk in those circles anymore, there's no doubt those folks love God and are seeking to be faithful to their understanding of Jesus and Jesus' call to be faithful in this life. Um, and I got that, I had that experience with him.
0: Um, but I have moved out. That's not
1: where I am anymore.
0: It's nice to hear you reflect on that. In that way. Uh, I met Jeff Charlotte who was the writer behind oh. uh, who who wrote the author of the book mm-hmm. that then the series, the series was based on, spent a couple of days with him and in those days I was quite sympathetic, uh, knew Doug Coe, uh, worked with the Fellowship folks, and yet I was still a critic of the way they went about something, especially being so cryptic uh, so clandestine I didn't think it served them well I didn't Mm -hmm. think it served the witness of the gospel well and I was critical of that so I have a kind of balanced view as you do Uh, I I still have friendships with folks who are in leadership there and and this gets I think to something here Uh, your your present life and ministry because and correct me if I'm wrong but um, Today, you you wouldn't identify as a conservative evangelical Christian, nor supporter of Donald Trump. Definitely. How would you describe yourself? Yeah, these are the all those things.
1: I I have learned to clarify. I do not want to be identified with classic American evangelicalism, because I. I don't ever want to not people not to think of me as an evangelical. I mean, that word needs to be, I w- would say, by those of us maybe a little bit to the left of center, we need to recapture and own that word because to be a person whose life is based on the gospel, the good news, and is seeking to share that with others, um, I don't ever want somebody to say that's not who I am. Um, but in terms of clarity, classic American evangelicalism today that is in my opinion just um, blindly maybe not so blindly I don't know come behind Donald Trump I yeah I, I do not want to be identified with that
0: segment of the church today are you a reader of Bonhoeffer not everyone who, who uh, uh, is a guest on this podcast is, and it's not a prerequisite at all.
1: Yeah, seminary. Uh, I think that was seminary, was probably okay. the, the
0: last time
1: that I opened up uh, some Bonhoeffer work.
0: Well, maybe I can coax you into yeah, revisiting sure him. Could. But, uh, <laughs> the only reason I ask you now is because, uh, of course, I have to remind people Bonhoeffer was a minister in the Evangelische yeah. Kirche. The evangelical church Mm -hmm. but it would have been a very different church than we know here now it made similar errors Mm -hmm. some egregious errors which ended up assisting the most diabolical regime the West has likely ever seen Adolf Hitler Nazism the Third Reich Uh, so the evangelical church went bad Mm-hmm. in Germany, but as a Reformation church, what we know more as the Lutheran church here, it it, it had a classical definition of that term, evangelical, which right. a lot of people don't even know where it came from, and you alluded to it. It's from the Greek word, evangelion, the good news. Yeah. It is yeah. a good news message, not a bad news right. message, right. which is one of the reasons that I object to the Trump distortion of the evangel, because it's not the evangel at all. It's not good news. It's all bad news. But that's fast-forwarding yeah. a little bit. Let, can I just offer one
1: clause Yes, of course. Call, uh, while you know that as a Presbyterian, the Barman Declaration is part of our Book of Confessions, and so I do quote that quite Thank frequently. Thank you for reminding yeah, me of so, that. But, I, but that's probably the extent of my, uh, my reading and quoting of Bonhoeffer. And I actually think I reference um, in one of the sermons in this book, I think I do reference the Barman Declaration, because that is, you cannot look at where we are as a church today, I don't think, um, and not see the similarities with what was going on in, in Nazi Germany. And And that sounds so inflammatory, I know, to many people. I am not in any way wanting to imply that Donald Trump can be compared to Adolf Hitler, but the issue around the church recognizing Our primary allegiance is to Jesus, not to the
0: empire. That is what is so important. I think that's a terribly important point, because when I make those comparisons between what is happening now here with the church and uh, religious voters, for example, and what happened in Germany, I'm always careful to say, I'm not comparing Donald Trump with Adolf Hitler, nor the Republican Party with the Nazi Party. I'm comparing the two churches yeah, and how we make our judgments and decisions. And so I think that kind of gets us now to your book, which I really want to commend to everyone listening to this podcast, Sermons from the Days of Trump. Tell us about the book, about the, the uh, sermons it contains, and the title. How how did you come around to that title? Uh, Well, I think uh, what
1: I recognized after a couple of years is that somehow in light of the actions of this administration, in very subtle ways sometimes, Donald Trump just managed to be on my heart and on my mind every Sunday that I was preaching. And as I think I shared with you before, Rob, scripture all of a sudden became embarrassingly relevant at times, that I would read things that are clearly referencing events and ideas from hundreds and thousands of years ago, and I'm saying, wow, this sounds like it could have been written today. Um, and so I, I just, I needed to, I felt like I needed to do something i i i preach regularly and and um and i felt like i needed to do more and maybe just share some of the insights that i was gleaning and put them out to a larger audience so i just took some of the ones that i thought were particularly relevant to some of the things that were going on and um, put them together in a this format and
0: Well, may I take you as my confessor for a moment and make my confession? (laughs) I have a bad habit of skipping introductions in books. And I go right to the meat, which I did with yours. I went right to the sermon. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you wrote in your introduction. I apologize. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that. That's all right. But I have this terrible propensity, (laughs) and I did it with yours. So maybe you answer this in your introduction. But were these actual sermons preached in the
1: pulpit? Oh, Yes. All of them were preached right here at Mount Vernon Prez. The first sermon um, is the sermon preached the Sunday after the election, Um, and you'd never know that necessarily by the way it starts, but at the end it became... I I preach from a manuscript um, and usually stick to it, but by the end of that sermon I started straying because it was clear that we had a large number of people who were really grieving, and so I tried to address some um, some of those some of those concerns. But yeah, all of them were preached here. And and what I tried to do at the, at the beginning of each chapter is give a little bit of background so that people knew what had happened the week before the sermon was preached, um, because that often influenced what was said and how I said it. I truly believe. I think it was. Carl Barth, who said we're supposed to preach with the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. That was Bart. Yeah, and that's me. I mean, I just cannot. I I think I've always been politics has always engaged me. Um, And I think the gospel is extremely political. I've tried never to be partisan. um, But I think we have to be addressing the politics of the day. The church has to do that.
0: I always look for a nexus in our conversations with Bonhoeffer of course, it goes without saying, Bonhoeffer was a preacher, and he believed in the power of the sermon. There's a couple of great collections of uh, Bonhoeffer's sermons. I was with last night, I was with Vicki Barnett, one of the top Bonhoeffer scholars in the English-speaking world. We did a little forum uh, not far from here together, and uh, she brought the two volumes she has compiled on Bonhoeffer's sermons. I Mm -hmm. think she's translated more than a few of those from the German into English. So he believed in the power of the sermon and he was a preacher. Uh, He also preached probably his most famous sermon on radio but shortly after the elevation of Adolf Hitler to Chancellor of Germany Hmm. when he sensed so many particularly young people in Germany were feeling probably not unlike so many of your congregants were here on the day you preached your sermon, Yeah. so there's a lot of parallel here in terms of response, how preachers respond to these kinds of things or how a lot of preachers do. What kind of reactions have you gotten? For Bonhoeffer, the plug was literally pulled from his microphone. Uh, During that sermon no one knows quite why but people have a lot of suspicions why they pulled the plug from his radio microphone on that sermon What kind of reactions have you gotten to these sermons? It's it's so it's such an interesting
1: question, and I'm still trying to Figure out what to do with this Rob, but but the sermons were very well received, like like any other sermon. Um, I think maybe one of them that I de- deal with race um, was particularly difficult for one or two of our members, but it had nothing to do with Trump. They were more concerned with my um, with with all that I was saying about the racial issues in this country. So the sermons were very well received. I am really hesitant to make this book avail. Like I don't want to. Uh, push it too much, because the title, I think, will be offensive to some people, which is, I, I, I'm still trying to make sense of that.
0: Oops. Yeah. I've already put it on all of our social oh, media. Oh, no, that's please, <laughs> don't, don't. I, you, you, you don't I need hope to. I haven't, I I haven't compromised you in no, any no, no, way. No, 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 uh, not at all, not at all. Uh, just, I want to get it out far and wide for a lot of reasons, but for one, the, the one you're identifying now, these aren't, these aren't anti-Trump. Sermons. I mean, it's not like this is a diatribe. You don't get up there and start talking about how why Donald Trump is such a terrible no. person and why no Christian in good conscience could ever support him and his latest foible or uh, violation. It, 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 right. It's not that at all. No. You, tell us how you approach these I, sermons. I
1: I rarely even mention his name. I mean, I certainly did the Sunday after the election. But rarely mention his name. I'm just talking about. How, so, how does Scripture call us to treat a um, an immigrant or a refugee? Um, how, how does God call us to talk, to speak? Um, what do the what do the the oldest laws of religious communities say to us about speaking the truth, about not lying, and not, about not bearing false witness. Um, So they're basically, I would say, gospel values, biblical values that I'm lifting up. But some of them are so, as I said before, so embarrassingly relevant. And they're those comments coming in light of something that he has said or done. Um, I think one of the sermons is the Sunday after the Muslim ban, or the so-called Muslim ban that he. executive order. And so when you talk about immigrants and refugees on that particular, of course that's what comes to people's minds. So it's not meant to bash Trump at all. It's certainly not meant to, none of them are meant to bash the Republican Party. Frankly, I don't think Donald Trump even represents um, the Republican Party, at least that I've grown up
0: knowing. Um, It's all about gospel values and the way of Jesus. And, uh, you know, of course i've been preparing and delivering sermons for a long time many decades and most colleagues uh i think all of us when we sit down and we compose the sermon whether we do that in outline form or manuscript form or i uh, you know you know i've never been able to quite pull this off but some of my fellows preach extemporaneously yeah. entirely. I think that's a little dangerous. Yeah, frankly, I do too. I do too. I know some who do it successfully, yeah. but um, I haven't been able to. But, uh, you know, I do know as I sit and I pray and I meditate and then I begin to assemble my thoughts, I have an objective in mind. I, I, I'm praying towards, working towards, and then ultimately preaching towards an end that people will come away with some effect. What was in your mind and heart with these sermons in particular? What were you hoping, praying, thinking would be the effect of those sermons?
1: I I think I can honestly say that I don't think any of them were designed to in any way cause people who had voted for Donald Trump to regret that or to to begin to, you know, in a very subtle way, campaigning for whoever was gonna be running against Donald Trump, that that was not my goal. My goal is always to preach Jesus. Um, You know, I'm still evangelical enough that I love Jesus and I think my goal is to help people continue to try to fall in love with Jesus and the way Jesus calls us to live. And I think that was, was ultimately my goal, to just take a fresh look at this this um, God with skin on, and consider how faithful we are in our attempts to try to walk in His footsteps. I think that's. I think I, I honestly think that that was my goal in, and almost all of them. The center six ones um, were are all based on the center six sermons in the book are all based on the reclaiming Jesus, um, confessional statement that that was. I signed on to it. Yeah, that was put together by some of the some great religious leaders in our country. So that those I think maybe have a little bit. There's some intentionality. I think when I there was some intentionality when I preached those, because all of those wonderful leaders were pretty clear. They were speaking in response to some of the things that Trump was doing. Um, but the rest, my goal was just to help people just take another look at Jesus and what does
0: it mean for us to truly follow follow him. You know, one of the most disappointing experiences I've had in my life and ministry career was at the post-inaugural prayer service for Donald Trump, held at the Washington National Cathedral. I was invited, as were many others, and I saw no reason not to attend. I went with my wife, Cheryl. And afterwards I saw a colleague uh, I had worked with when I was on the old, very conservative, religious right side of the aisle, which I have since left. But uh, I saw him there, and and we had shared many platforms together over the years, and we had worked together. And I went to him and I said, you know, maybe it's time we recalibrate Mm. our spiritual compass and set it back to Jesus. Maybe we start with the Sermon on the Mount. And his instant response was, are you kidding? I don't have time for that. We have serious work we have to do now. And he turned out to be the most visible supporter of Donald Trump among evangelicals in this country. That, that was terribly disappointing to me because for me, the Gospel is utterly Christocentric. Mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer defined it as such and that's how I read your sermons Mm -hmm. Um, do you have a favorite among them Um, in here in this uh, I I think my
1: favorite is the the conclusion because it's I often do first-person sermons where I just take on a character not me Um, and they're all fictitious um, but this one in particular is just a reminder to just love and that love needs to guide everything we do. And in a book, you know, I, uh, my prophetic voice over the years has sometimes gotten me into trouble and it's kind of interesting that that's my favorite because I am I guess I've just kind of left my concern. I, I still think we need to love. Even the, the people who are ardent Trumpers. Um, Jesus loves them, and I think that's our call. So the last sermon is all about remembering that ultimately we need to love one another, um, that that's the only thing that's going to change this world. Not Donald Trump, um, none of the Democratic candidates, uh, ultimately it's only going to be love. So that's that's
0: probably my favorite one in there. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, it's very likely a lot of folks listening into this conversation have ask themselves well what do we do you know what what can we do and I hear from a lot of people who say you know my family my friends my fellow workers my colleagues they're just head over heels for Donald Trump uh, there's no changing their minds they're, uh, I, you know is there anything I can do well Bonhoeffer was big on the concrete it wasn't enough to just have ideas or thoughts. Actions had to be matched uh, to those ideas and those thoughts, and even to those prayers. Um, and uh, so here's my advice to folks. Uh, get a hold of Bob Malone's book, oh, well, thank you. Sermons from the Days of Trump, and share it in love. First of all, read it yourself. You'll be edified. Your faith will be strengthened. Your hope uh, will be uh, bolstered by this beautiful compilation of sermons. And then think about those you might give it to as a gift with a little humility. Maybe you say to a family member or to a friend or to a colleague, hey, you're gonna hate me for giving you this book, (laughs) but I dare you to read a few pages and just tell me what you think about it. Mm. Maybe you'll hate it, uh, maybe you'll want to throw it at me, and I invite that if that's what you want to do, but I thought enough of you to buy it for you, and I hope you'll just take a little look at it, and if you have a book on Donald Trump you want me to read, I'll do the same. So how about we make a, a deal, you know? Uh, the, uh, let's call it the art of the deal. <laughs> I give you Bob Malone's book, you give me a book on Trump, we'll each read it, and then we'll talk and we'll brilliant. share it. Brilliant. Uh, I think this is a gift to all of us, Bob, thank you oh, well, for compiling you. these sermons, brilliant. thank you for putting your heart and soul into them. I was edified by them, I'm going to keep referencing them, I'm going to keep your book close at hand, I'm going to give it to a lot of people. And uh, I always remind you that if you're going to buy the book, can folks get it on Amazon? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Because that means you can then get it on Amazon Smile, name the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute as your uh, designated charity, and then you also help the Bonhoeffer Institute. So this is a deal, dare I say, (laughs) where everybody wins. Uh, Sermons from the Days of Trump by Bob Malone Jr. Uh, published by Parsons Porch Books. You can get it at Amazon and I'm sure a lot of other places. If folks want to communicate with the author, do they have a way to do that? Sure, you can. Uh, I'm on
1: WordPress, Be Malone. Okay. Um, you can email me the, uh, through the church or just BeMalone61 at gmail.com. Love to talk to
0: folks. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, so people can contact me that way as well. Great. Well, it was wonderful spending the time with you talking about uh, your own ministry and sermons from the days of Trump. Isn't that an irresistible title? Come on, you got to get it. Bob Malone, by the way, spelled N-E-L-O-N-E. Thanks a lot. My pleasure.